with us this morning at HBF on Labor Day weekend. And so uh, uh, we are thankful that you've chosen to spend some time here at HBF. If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. And this is our third installment on this, uh, this last uh, reality of HBF, dealing with uh, you know, real churches impact real war zones. And so we're excited about you know, wrapping this up and moving on into Exodus. But next week, before we get into all that, is our Bible conference. So I hope everybody comes this coming week to be a part of, well, not this week, but next week, next Sunday, we'll launch our uh, annual Bible conference. So we're looking forward to putting together 30,000 Ukrainian New Testaments and trusting the Lord for his provision for that project, along with other projects that we're working on. So um, we're, we're glad that you are here. And I just want to... Um, Turn your attention here to the scripture in the book of Acts chapter 16. But before we do that, I want to just uh, review a little bit of where we've been in this seventh reality. We've already talked about discerning God's strategic mission and deploying God's strategic messengers. We saw that discerning uh, God's strategic mission uh, causes us to understand the conflict. Of course, the big picture between God and the devil in Isaiah 14. And we talked about that. Understanding the satan or the strategic nature of the enemy. Uh, we talked about that and how he's so subtle and understanding the strategic nature of God's deliverance from Genesis 3.15. Of course, he always delivers us uh, through his word and his promise and understanding the scope of God's mission as well as the impact of real uh, war zones. <clears throat> Churches that impact real war zones understand the strategic nature of God's mission. So all of that's on your first page of your notes if you have notes this morning. And that's all review. So we've covered all of that. Plus, last week we got into the second point about deploying God's strategic messengers, how important it was. And we saw in Acts chapter 13 how the book, how the church at Antioch, they deployed uh, key men to go out and carry the gospel forth. And it's important that a local church is about the business of doing that. So if you've never been in a church like ours, our church is very serious about making disciples that that not everybody's going to necessarily go around the world personally uh, but everybody in the church should be involved in it. So you can be involved in the prayer team. You can be involved in a mission trip. We have mission trips coming up right now. We have one this month to Boston. We're going to have one to, to Monmouth. We'll have one to Dominican Republic uh, that Steve, by the way, needs more people on. Ra- raise your hand, Steve. Join Steve right now. Go to the Dominican Republic. And then we've got one going to Oaxaca, Mexico later this uh, in November. So so that is that is the church getting involved in these strategic missions. And so strategic messengers are sent from strategic local churches. They don't just come out of the, the woodwork. Uh, God raises people up in the environment of the local New Testament church to send them. So we talked about that, and we saw how strategic messengers are called to strategic ministry and how uh, missionaries are called to take the gospel to specific people groups. Uh, and I'd like to spend more time on that, but for time's sake, I'm not. We talked about how God has grown our uh, ability to touch the world uh, through just uh, financial support and our partnerships and also the Word First Bible Publishing Ministry last week. And then we were able to, if you missed that one, you missed it. I mean, those were some gourmet hot dogs. If you said, what in the world is a gourmet hot dog? Well, man, it's whatever we ate last week, right, after, after church. That was a gourmet hot dog, and uh, that was outstanding. So uh, God is opening doors through ministries like Word First and, uh, and, of course, our missionary partnerships and the ones that we send ourselves to the mission field to continue to be strategic in that uh, arena. And Paul was called long before he was prepared. So to encourage you all, and I ended on this last week, you know, it's very possible that you're sitting under the sound of my voice and the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart 
and you're called, but you're kind of like, well, I, you know, not everybody goes through the same process. I'll just lay that out right now. But there are some that, that just know that, you know what, God, you have set my life apart for this. I need to serve you. Now, you may not quite know what that is all about, uh, and uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to read a passage that will help you even with that this morning. So I've asked you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter uh, 16. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. I neglected to say this earlier, and turn to page 1,477. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, you know you can just, just turn to that page, 1,477. It'll put you right in the text where we're going to be in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. This book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, and it's where I was uh, speaking from last week in dealing with this church that sent out strategic messengers and, uh, and so this morning I want to pick it up right in the midst of this point in Acts chapter 16 and dealing with this point of and just kind of following up on what we talked about last week about being called and needing to be prepared, right, uh, before you're prepared. It's one thing to be called. It's another thing to be prepared. Just because you're called doesn't mean you're ready, right? Even the, the great apostle Paul, who already was a doctor in the law, needed time with Jesus Christ, right, in the wilderness took him some time to get to where he was prepared to do what God wanted him to do. And uh, before I move into the text, I just want to say, Jan Smith, it's so good to have you here. I didn't see you. God bless you. So it's been a long time. So we're going to have you back in the house this morning. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 16, we're in verse 9. Acts chapter 16 and verse 9. Let's read the text together. Again, if you can physically stand. Uh, if you can't, great. But if you can, let's stand in honor of the, Lord, the Lord's word. And uh, we'll read Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10. Short little passage. And as you're standing and getting ready, Paul now is uh, moving uh, through. Um, uh, he's, he's moving around and he's looking in. He's in Galatia, uh, trying to, to bounce around modern-day Turkey, Mysia, Troas. And, uh, man, he doesn't know what, what to do next. So the Bible uh, tells us he receives a vision. And it says in verse 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for gathering us together today. Thank you for the guests that have come. Thank you for bringing uh, members like uh, Jan here today. Lord, I know she's uh, struggled with some um, health uh, ailments here that have kept her away. And so we're so thankful. I pray that you just encourage her in the Lord today. Pray for my brother, uh, J.B. Slicer, who's bereaved at the loss of his his father. Pray, Lord, for uh, all the, there's six funerals that I've uh, been en engaged or been aware of this weekend, Lord, personally. Some are private and some are part of our church family. But Lord, just a lot of bereavements in the last, you know, uh, five days or so. So Lord, I just pray for hurting hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that, uh, that we could uh, use this message, Lord, that you would teach us and encourage us and move us to get the gospel where it needs to go. So when we do come to that point where we are ready to, to lay down everything and, and uh, depart this life, we can know an assurance that we are uh, going into eternity, Lord. And we do that through uh, one moment in time when we receive the gospel. But, Lord, help us to take the gospel. Those of us that have received it, have believed it, have followed you in believers' baptism, are part of the local New Testament church, to, to really take the mantle on of the mission and go forward strategic messengers in a strategic field, Lord, to accomplish your mission and your power for your glory. We thank you and we praise you that Paul did that. And we pray, God, you open up your word to us today in a fresh way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So Paul here is, and again, I didn't do a lot of background, but Paul is, is, has been faithful. He's been ministering. He had places he wanted to go, but God shut the door. So there's sometimes uh, you're looking for God to do something in your life, but you don't know where it is. God will shut doors. And so he just prayed, and God gave him um, a very clear vision of a man in Macedonia beckoning him, right, calling him to come over and be a part of that work. Now, if you, I'm not going to get into the text too much, but if you go further, you find out he gets there, and there wasn't a man yet. Initially, he was dealing with the ladies' prayer meeting down by the river, right? So God moved him, uh, and for all of you to think about Chris Farley, shame on you. Anyway, um, and so, so, so they, 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 God moved him in a vision, and eventually he did have a, a man. Uh, he did find not just a man, but he found several men. And we know by the time we get to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, there's bishops and deacons. So God did a mighty work in that area of Macedonia. Not too far, by the way, from Albania. Uh, the Albanian Bible that we will be helping uh, produce, it's being translated by uh, Aaron uh, Vogli, uh, is actually uh, a lot of the people that today live in Macedonia um, uh, speak uh, the Albanian language to this day. So it's kind of neat to be on the other side of church history and on the back end of the church age, and we're still dealing with this area in Macedonia. And God has called this church to be part of this same region. Isn't that crazy? And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about vision and going forward with God. So point one in your notes here, God has, has called HBF to walk through open doors. He's called us to walk through open doors. You notice in verse 10, whenever they saw clearly that there was a place to go, they didn't hesitate. They didn't bring a committee together. They endeavored to follow the vision, and they went. And it wasn't like an easy thing to travel uh, from Turkey over to uh, Macedonia. And so, uh, you know, they had to get on boats. They had to get tickets. They had to do all the work. They had to get their passports, right? Some of you like, man, I want to go on a missions trip. Okay, get your passport, right? Just start doing the work. If God's called you to go, maybe you don't know where you're going, get your passport so you can go when it's time to go. All right, so the, let me do some statistics for you because I got a lot of data here I need to get through. Uh, uh, the 1040 window, how many of you have heard of that? All right, that's been a hot topic for the last, oh, 30 years or so, uh, because it should be. It's a big deal. There's a lot of, pe- of the world's population that lives in the 1030 window. Uh, most of the non-Christian population in the world, and I say that loosely because a lot of what's counted as Christian is not biblically born-again Christianity, but these are people that are not, certainly not in, a, in a, an environment where the Christianity is the norm. Uh, the, it extends from 10 degrees uh, to 40 degrees north of the equator, and it stretches from North Africa across to China. Some have even wrapped it all the way over now to South America uh, and, uh, and you know, Central America and Mexico. So uh, however you want to do that. But the population estimate is over 2.7 billion, and that's a third of the world's population. And so uh, does that sound familiar, right? A third? A third? A third of the angels fell, right? So a third of the world's population is in, in, in great darkness, uh, great darkness, and that's how many um, that's how many angels Satan drew uh, out of heaven. There's a third. So today, Satan's power is actively putting a chokehold through Islam and Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism uh, on a third of the world's population because those are the predominant uh, religious groups in those areas, but not the only. Also, I can throw another one in which we don't talk about. It's also a religion. It's called Marxism. Uh, which is a humanistic religion, right? And so uh, that also encompasses that area of China, uh, and those people are in great darkness as well. And so the 1040 window, let me just give you some facts. Approximately 5.26 billion individuals reside in 8,866 distinct people groups and are, <clears throat> and, and are in the 
uh, what I have here is a revised uh, 1040 window. In 2006, the number was 2.4 billion. So, uh, so it's grown. It's doubled since I preached this message. The population's doubled in that region of the world. And so, oh, I got the stats on the screen. Good. I forgot I did that. So 6,180, uh, that's 69.7% of these people groups are considered unreached and have a population of 3.23 billion people. So this means approximately 61% of the individuals in the 1040 window live in an unreached people group. And uh, I don't have the stats up there, but an unreached people group is considered less than 2%. And some, uh, some uh, even have statistics. Uh, it's pretty cool to see how often... Um, or interesting is a better word to say, not cool. But it's interesting to see in those unreached people groups how often, and they have statistics that will tell you they were likely to hear the gospel like maybe once every 30 years. That's your statistical probability of hearing the gospel uh, or hearing about Christ, maybe in 30 years. Uh, and so life expectancy is not always as high in those countries either. So you may, obviously a lot of people will never hear the gospel. And so uh, the statistics are incredible. So the 1040 window is home to some of the largest unreached people groups in the world, such as the, uh, I think it's the Sheikh and the Yavada, I don't know how to pronounce those properly, the Turks, the Moroccans, the Arabs, the, the Pushtun, the, the Jat, and the Burmese, of which we have, uh, we've taken Bibles to the Burmese. 40% of the world's population live on less than $2 a day, as we saw in our very first opening uh, video. Um, and uh, the 1040 window is, uh, is, is quite blighted economically in certain places. 85% of those living in the 1040 window are the poorest in the world. Um, but however, there are some of the richest cities on the planet also in the 1040 window. We need to throw that in there as well. And so, uh, so that's just some information that we already have seen. I don't share that to make anyone feel guilty, like have a guilt trip. That's not, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that's not the what motivates us. What motivates us is the reality that gospel has to go there. We should move out of obedience. Obviously, the gospel has to get there, not just because of economic reasons, but because of the, the bigger issues is the dearth in knowing the gospel. That is the issue. Um, and so 16 of the world's 27 uh, mega cities with populations going uh, up over 20 million are found in the, in the 1040 window. So a lot of the, the, what that means is a lot of the population is concentrated in mega cities now, and it's moving, it's increasingly becoming that way. Of course, we know as the end times, that's going to make it easier for the Antichrist to control people if they're in the cities. So um, I found that 53 cities in the 1040 window have a population of over a million people, and some of these cities are really large. Cities like uh, Dhaka, which is a city many may not know of in, in Bangladesh. I had a video I was going to show, but for time's sake, I cut it out. Um, it's, it's, it's well over 10 million, uh, going up to 20 million people. In 2006, it was 9 million people. Now it's, um, now it's over 20 million people. And so it has grown. It's, again, it has doubled since the last time we actually, as a church on a Sunday, dealt with this matter of our seven realities. And so the, same, the battle's still there, and it's still increasing, and the souls are still um, you know, populating. Of course, Beijing, China, uh, was 12, 12, uh, 12 million uh, several years ago. Now, it's, again, it's over 20. Uh, Shanghai is the largest, I think, one of the largest cities in Asia. And you've got all kinds of cities. Some you've heard of, like Cairo. Some you haven't. Cities like Calcutta and uh, Delhi. Delhi is now, uh, again, it's over 20 million. It was at, at 10 million uh, when I uh, preached this in 2006 or seven, many years ago. And so, again, a lot of these populations have doubled. Has the gospel doubled? Has the presence of the gospel doubled there? Well, in some cases, it has, God has done significant work. In other cases, he hasn't. In Jakarta, Indonesia, Indonesia, 
and, uh, and even Japan. You know, Japan has, I did not realize that it has really some of the most densely and, uh, and highest populations on, in the 1040 window. So uh, it is a really strategic place to, to be reached, even though it seems so modern and up-to-date. It would be a good place for missionaries um, and pastors and churches to grow. And I could keep going through all kinds of key places like Istanbul, Turkey, and Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, some of these places like Istanbul, I promise you, are, they are key gateway cities, and they're, obviously they're prophetic as well. So the question is, is are you ready to go? Right? The bad news is many times, as Americans, we wouldn't even be allowed to go to many of these places, um, uh, because at least on a religious visa. So you have to have some other way to get in uh, if you were going to be a missionary. So you have to be creative. So how do you reach these countries? Right? So, well, that's a good question. I'm glad you're asking these questions. We, we, what we do is we simply do what we already do. We reproduce faithful men to go to key places and key cultures in accordance with God's will. And, um, and one of the things that, that we do here at HBF is we don't only support American missionaries, right? It's because sometimes there's places that, that uh, people from other countries can go that we can't go. I have a friend who's a, who's a, who was a missionary to Mexico, and he, he was going to Cuba before Americans could go to Cuba. Why? Because he took on Mexican citizenship and then could get a visa so he could travel to Cuba and preach the gospel there. Right? So you've got to be creative, and you've got to have a want to. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be intentional. Right? We spent our whole vision conference talking about owning the mission and being intentional about our gospel outreach. And so you, we need to be intentional about getting the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, but also to the world and we have to put ourselves in a position and be on our toes so that when God opens the doors, like Paul, one thing may seem to close, but God will open another door. But you've got to know that God wants us to go to the world. God was moving through Paul. Paul knew that he needed to get the gospel to the Gentile nations. And so he started moving and went where God told him to go, and he found a way to get there. And so by God's grace, I pray that we can continue to send missionaries, um, not only to the easy countries, but even to the difficult places, and, uh, and by God's grace, we will continue to do that. So, so you say, I want to be a soldier for Jesus, Brian. I'm glad you do. Um, and maybe you want to be an ambassador for Christ. Well, that's good too. We've talked about all that in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm glad uh, you're here because we are prepared to prepare you and send you. That's why we have our Bible Institute. That's why we even have a larger network of churches that we work with. And we partner so that when God brings men and women that are ready to really take on that call, we can prepare you and we can send you. And we are not kidding about that. We literally will do that. And so you just have to be committed. But you've got to answer the call. You've got to answer the call. And so the bottom line is, is that God is calling I know he's calling because it's his will, and he wants us to be involved in cross-cultural ministry. And, and what that means, though, I want you to understand this. What happens when you uh, take on the, 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 the mantle of cross-cultural ministry is you begin to lose your identity. You lose your identity. You are completely, I mean, you're always going to be who you are. Don't misunderstand me. But you're letting go of what you know, and you're going into a place, and, you're, and you are assimilating in a way that you can get the gospel there uh, and a lot of your identity is going to go. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, the Bible says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, I pray to God. I, I saw you know, our brother Mike Pepper. He's bouncing out of here a few weeks ago. 
at 80 years old, you know, and I'm like, man, Lord, I pray that my life would be consumed with the gospel when I'm 80 years old like that man. He is getting on, he's like, I got to get to Sierra Leone and I got to leave this time and that time and he's, he's dealing with all of that and I'm like, man, you know what, his whole identity is, is the gospel and getting and reaching a country that's reachable. A difficult country, but a reachable country. Doors are wide open. Doors are wide open. I mean, you don't have to pray about that. Go where the doors are open. So we must pray for, for doors of utterance as well. Though It's not enough just to have doors open, right? We've got to pray for doors of utterance. We've got to be able to speak the gospel boldly as we ought, not just for ourselves, but for the strategic messengers that God is using to carry his gospel to the most um, hotly contested physical and spiritual war zones on the planet. So that's really why we have our prayer teams at HBF. So you're like, man, Brian, that sounds so exotic and exciting, and how can I get involved, like, right now? I can open up my wallet and give money to missionaries. Great, do that, do all of that. Uh, All that needs to be done, and we need to continue to do that. And thank you for for those that do that. But one of the things you can do also, if you want to put some skin in the game, is just get out your bulletin and look on the back and see the prayer teams, right? There's, uh, we're going to hear a little bit at the end of the service from someone who has a prayer team. He needs some people to help. He needs, he needs other people to help him pray. You say, well, that's not sexy. That's not exciting. No, that is exciting. Man, that is, that's what it's about, man. You've got to get involved right there and, be, and care. You know what it does is it gets your heart connected to God's heart. And it's the first step in dying to self. Because it, you really are joining into that labor. Those folks have died to self. They've gone ahead and committed. They've, they've sold their properties and they've moved to these foreign lands and all of that. But you know what? We die to ourself and we take on that priestly work of interceding and by faith, trusting that God's going to hear our prayers. And those missionaries, they know it. They feel it. I literally just, uh, just had a brother yesterday. I, I was praying for him because it was a difficult situation. I knew he had a message coming up. And I walked up to him and said, Hey, brother, I've been praying for you. He says, Man, I could tell. You ever had someone tell you, I can tell. You know, I can tell. When, when people pray for you, you can just tell. God gives you grace. So praise God for that. Get involved in the prayer team. So that wraps up that second point, discerning, or, uh, you know, uh, real churches impact real war zones. Number one, by discerning God's strategic mission, but also by deploying God's strategic messengers. I could say a lot, lot more about that, but for time's sake and for, and for everything else's sake, I'm just going to stop there on that topic. But if God's calling you to be a part of God's strategic mission, get involved, right? In any way you can. You don't have to be, uh, I don't, you can go pray. I don't care who you are. Come to a prayer team meeting, eat some food, pray, enjoy Jesus. It'll be a good time. But the third thing I want to point out is that we also do this by depositing God's strategic message. The message is more important than the messenger. It is. The message is more important than the messenger. That God can find messengers, uh, but the message is Oh, it is so important. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Just a few, it's just a few books over. I'll turn to it, so if I get there. There you go. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. I'm there, and you're almost there. Some of you are there, and some of you aren't. I'll give you just one more second. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, wherein too I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. 
a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So our point of study here is the gospel must be spread everywhere. Everywhere. You know what Matthew 28, 19-20 says. We're always quoting it. Go ye therefore and teach how many nations? All nations, right? All nations. We're to go teach all nations. Acts 1-8. What are those? Where are we going? You guys tell me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's right. So when he says, you know what, Paul, God told him, you're going to go to the Gentiles. That literally means you're going to the whole world. And I'm going to preach the gospel. The gospel must be spread everywhere, right? So if you're going to spread the gospel everywhere, right, you have the gospel seed. You, you can do it a few ways. You can say, here, here, brother, here's some gospel. Here's some gospel. Or that's not going to get me very far. Or you can just say, here's the gospel. <laughs> here's the gospel. <laughs> here's the gospel, right? That's everywhere. There you go. <laughs> Over here, right? Everybody, watch out. I don't need any liability. In the back row. There we go. All right. Look out, Randy. <laughs> there you go in the back. We can get it there. Right? That's, you know what that is? That's, there you go, Donna. <laughs> I missed it. Sorry. That's as far as I can go. You're welcome. I got a smarty up here. Anybody need a smarty? There you go. I could see. All right. After church, there's a few more pieces here and there, so I'm sure the kids will help us. Right, you don't just kind of, you got to get after it. If you're going to spread the gospel, you got to get after it. You got to spread it. It's a broadcast, right? That's a broad, you get, you get in the lawn, you got to broadcast stuff. It throws it everywhere. You got to get it out. God says, I need you to go to the whole world. Obviously, geography does not enter into God's plan because if we go, um, we have to know, I shouldn't say it doesn't enter into, it does enter into God's plan. So you got to know where to go. Paul knew that he's like, I I, got to go, I got to go, I got to go. And if that's where you are, that's awesome. I know I've, and there's been times in my life where I'm just right there. I've got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Well, where are you going? I don't know. You know what you're looking for? You're looking for that open door, right? You're praying for that open door. You guys aren't waiting until after church to eat that candy. I can see that. (laughs) So obviously, geography is important. There is a place that God is calling you to go. He's calling you to go and broadcast the message. And so... I've already set forth some of the greatest needs in some of the most desperate and difficult places. But what about the doors within our own reach, right? Unreached means less than 2% of the population of the people group has been engaged with the gospel, as I've already set forth. So world missions and evangelism reported in 2018, uh, four years ago, that there was 25 indigenous unreached people groups living inside the borders of the United States of America. I mean, you wouldn't have to leave the United States to reach unreached people groups. 25. And that number does not include uh, residents of other unreached people groups living in the United States from other locations around the world. That's not talking about unreached people groups that are here getting trained in college or whatever. They're talking about in America, there are still unreached people groups. 
which is a little shocking to me even. I was surprised at that. But there are certain people groups that have, have yet to get the gospel. In the Western Hemisphere, there are 350 unique people groups that are found in 18 broad categories that are still considered unreached. And the total number is estimated at 8 million by World Mission Evangelism. And so I've listed some of those on the screen. I'm not going to take the time to read all of those, but you can see those. And uh, this is also on the website, so you can go back and refer to these under the PDF that I have up there. So, uh, <clears throat> but these are, just, these are different uh, people groups that are listed, 8 million by World Mission Evangelism. And so um, Aztec is one, uh, and Hispanic, that's a pretty large group. But there's, uh, there's just a lot of different uh, groups there that they would consider unreached in different places. The North American indigenous. So there's some American Indian groups that they would say are unreached. And I know if you talk to uh, uh, Johnny Romero, he would agree with that. There are some people groups uh, in New Mexico and places like that that still need to hear the gospel. So there's places you can go if you're wanting to focus on specific people groups um, uh, you know, that are in, a, in an indigenous group. Uh, though only New York City has the pop. Uh, the population that rivals the largest cities in the world, the United States is without a doubt the most economically influential country in the world in spite of, you know, the deconstruction process that's going on right now. America is still uh, the leading place to get education, to get to, for economy. I mean, there's just not another place yet in the world that rivals the United States. So you live in a key nation. And what that means is the lot, a lot of the world to this day is still coming here to gain the, the knowledge, the economic uh, advantage. And so that itself opens up the world to the United States, to the citizen of the United States, if you're intentional. And that brings me to international students. And so uh, that's a great place to reach the world. If you're looking for a way to get engaged with international ministry, well, a lot of the world comes right here, comes right here to our own city in Kansas City. So there's 900,000 international students in the U.S. each year, 62% of internationals are from the 1040 window. So over half of them come from this unreached, uh, this people group, or these people groups that are in the 1040 window. The total number of students from the 1040 window countries uh, studying the U.S. is up over almost half a million, 451,000 uh, from 68 different countries. And of course, that ebbs and flows with all the politics and what have you. But it's still a very important uh, opportunity that should and is being engaged in. Of course, you guys know David Pierce, who planted the Shiloh and KCK. He's now still working with international students. Just a few weeks ago, we were connecting on an international students that's going to go to K-State and, and working with our sister church in Midtown to get all that connected and directed. And those are still very important opportunities to reach key people in key countries. Um, the top 10 countries that, that have international students here is China at 35%, India at 18%, Seoul, South Korea at 4%. Uh, which Seoul, South Korea, is a very rich country. Uh, Canada, Taiwan, Saudi Arabia, uh, Brazil, Vietnam, Mexico, and Nigeria. And so why, why reach out to international students? Well, because 80% of those students will return uh, to their countries having never been invited uh, to an American home. Can you imagine that? 80% of those people from international uh, ministries or international um, uh, locations that come here to study will never have anyone invite them to their home. Man, what an opportunity for Christians to get to know them, to build a relationship with them by just inviting them to their home. 40% of the world's uh, 220 heads of state once studied 
in the United States. So we're talking about leaders. If you know what it takes, it's hard to get here, and, and uh, the, the universities charge a lot of money for international students. So to be an international student, you, that means you come from means. You have wealth. You're already at different stratus. So to come here and meet a Christian, that means you're going to go back if they get saved, and they're going to be circulating among leaders in their country and their people groups. And so it's important to be strategic about reaching these people. Only 10% of the international students are reached by um, ministries while in the United States. So 90% are going back being unreached. So that's, in, that's interesting. It's estimated that uh, by 2025, 50% of all the world leaders will have been international students. Currently, there are over 1.3 million international students studying in the U.S. and over 4.5 studying in worldwide today, according to uh, internationalstudentministry.org. So that's interesting information. Maybe you want to get involved in some international student ministry. There's opportunities uh, to do that. Uh, I, I had opportunities, no one ever took me up on it, to host in the summertime international students here. Just, come, just let them go on vacation with you, have them come in your home, and we can still get a hold of those opportunities from unreached places um, that, that in, in Europe, European students that come over for uh, studying abroad for the summer. Uh, and so those are still, still there. Another thing that, that you need to consider is, well, what about illegal aliens? Uh, that's, that's, that can get, or undocumented immigrants, whatever you want to call them, that can get sticky, right? I know several years ago, um, probably, I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago, we, when the, the border crisis started, I, I personally was trying to get to the border. I'm like, let's get down to the border. Let's try to help these folks with the gospel. And, and man, I got big roadblocks, you know. I talked to Samaritan's Ministry. They're like, sorry, man, we can't, do, we can't do what we do here in the United States. I'm like, what? We can go all over the world, but we can't just go here. And they, no, you can't. It's just it's not legal or whatever. I'm like, okay. And so, so it's not as easy because you're dealing with a lot of politics. Um, but you're asking good questions. What about that? Uh, you know, the first thing we've got to do, because this is such, and I, brought, I almost, I'll be, I'll be very frank with you. I just wanted to step over this and just kind of put it on the rug. That's what everybody does, and that's not, that's not who I am. So let's just address this thing head on. What do you do with illegals? That's a great question. Because I know what you're going to be characterized as doing, right? You're going to, you all are going to be characterized as wanting to kill a bunch of people, right, and be crazy. And that's not our heart. Our heart is always, our priority is the gospel. I don't, you know, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. The, the world's coming to us, so we'll meet them where they're at. So our first priority is the gospel. All power in heaven and earth, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, was given to who? Jesus. And then he turned around and said, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. Um, and so we, that means make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So all nations implies this is for every people group. Uh, so baptism uh, should be available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, okay, so that makes sense. There's a couple things. First, uh, you know, you got to prioritize the gospel, but I don't want to overlook. Secondly, you do have to obey the law, right? And so uh, the law states that, that there's a pro, pro, uh, it, the law prohibits acts of importing, harboring, transporting, or hiring illegal aliens. Federal law also requires that employees obtain certain documents from every person hired proving the right to work in the country. Right? So as Christians, you obey the law. You obey the law of the land. You obey the Lord, and you obey the law of the land. Uh, I'm not going to look up the verses, but if we went to Romans 13, it's very clear that we're to submit to the authorities, the powers that be are ordained of God, and we submit to the laws of the land. Right? So we're going to obey that. Uh, certainly churches should not be in the business of bringing illegal aliens 
into the country or trying to help them uh, evade authorities. So that is not the position of the local church. Moreover, neither, church, uh, uh, neither uh, churches nor individual Christians should knowingly hire illegal aliens, but um, we, not, we only, uh, we only uh, disobey legal authorities if they are in direct conflict with the clear authority and teaching of the Scripture. Examples of that would be like in Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 3, um, the, the, the guy said, you know what, I just cannot worship uh, your, your God. And he's like, well, you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. Okay, sir, yes, sir, whatever you got to do, but I'm not going to bow down to that. And there are times with, where God says, you know what, you've got to obey God rather than man. Literally, that's what the apostles said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 19. So when it comes to preaching the gospel and observing uh, the gospel, that is our first priority. That is why we exist. That's why the, the local New Testament church exists. That's why literally the government is recognized. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. And, uh, and so that's what the apostles said, and that's what we maintain. But we also have to be blameless. And our, our vision for HBF, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, obviously is that we are blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Right? We want to shine brightly until the Lord comes. So our, the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So holding forth the word of life is the key. So discipleship will make the difference, right? Uh, several years ago, uh, even in our church, we had a, a couple that was working here that came uh, in from Maple City, and uh, they were helping in the ministry. It ended up being they were, they were not legal, and uh, it was through the discipleship process, they, they, got, they got convicted, and they ended up going back and joining uh, uh, Blake Anderson in, Me- in uh, Mexico City and became part of his ministry. Uh, not because anybody called the, uh, what is it, ICE or whoever. It just, they in their own heart, they worked it out, and the, the Word of God took care of all of that because they were being discipled. They were learning the Word of God in that church. So everywhere includes the United States of America. And so when we talk about going to everywhere, that's everybody. Now, um, before I move off of that last point, just so you know, you can have whatever political opinion you want. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gospel. The gospel's first. The gospel's first. And that's what we got. We, that's what I'm here to charge you to do is put the gospel first. If people would put the gospel first, it would be amazing how easily everything else would be worked out. It wouldn't be polarizing. It'd be very simple. And it'd be very nice. It'd be very, very gentle. And be very accommodating. It's because uh, people are not putting the gospel first that there is so much tension and contention over the subject of, of immigration in general. Because it's not really about caring about people. Uh, it's about caring about you know, politics and positions and so on and so forth. And so, so be wiser than that as Christians. That's what I would tell you. To be wiser than that. Don't worry about how people characterize you or don't characterize you. Just stay focused on the main thing, and that's the gospel. Uh, and you can just because you help somebody doesn't mean you disagree with obeying the law either. And so you just got to have things in order biblically. So I set that in order for you to help you as a congregation, so you can know what comes first and what comes uh, right on right alongside of that, and comes second, third, and right on down the line. All right, you guys understand that? All right. So point three. So everywhere also includes the United States. So when we talk about reaching the world, we're not just talking about as I've already set forth. We're not just talking about you know, getting on a plane and going somewhere, what a reproach it would be if we did that, but we don't reach the world right where we are, right? So a brief history, even here in the United States, uh, this country, a lot of people don't realize the history 
uh, of this nation being a, a mission field. And I've, been, I've actually been saved long enough now to almost kind of see the cycle. Uh, when I first got saved, America was like the hot, you know, the 80s, uh, big economy, uh, churches were getting big, everything was big, big, big. People started changing their theology about end times. Well, maybe before the Lord comes, and you know, it's going to be very prosperous, and, you know, and then you know, the economy dips in the next Revelation series. Well, maybe before the Lord comes, everybody's going to be poor, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just like, <laughs> you know, let's just stick with the Bible, right? We'll just go with what the Bible says, and that's how it's going to roll. But, but when it comes right down to this nation, historically, it's been a mission field. I mean, if you think of it, just not that many years ago, hundreds of years ago, not many hundreds of years ago, uh, this, was a, this was a bona fide uh, Wild West, go get him, mission field. I mean, from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was, it was uncharted territory. And so initially, North America was the land of economic development and target of international missions. Rome colonized South and Central America and what would become the western United States and, and southern United States through uh, Catholic monarchies like Spain and France and Portugal. Great Britain, obviously, they colonized what we come to know as the, the, the 13 colonies and also Canada and uh, the eastern part of the United States there. And so what would become the United States. The colonies were all considered missions into the 1700s. For 200 years, the western hemisphere was considered a mission field by Roman Catholics and Protestants alike. Baptists were still heavily persecuted during that time, and missions often uh, consisted of relocating in search of freedom. And you guys know the story of the pilgrims, right? So it was not until the 1800s that the Baptists used their freedom and affluence to intentionally engage in, in accomplishing the Great Commission in an organized fashion. Because You know why? Because they couldn't before. They were under so much persecution. <laughs> but once they had a little window of freedom and they got themselves organized, look out. The Philadelphian church age. I mean, the missions like we know it today, where did it really spring from? Guys, I've I, I got news to tell you. It comes from Bible-believing people that go into the term Baptist for the most part. It's Baptists. It's Baptists having a literal view of what the Word of God says, literally taking the gospel where it needs to go. It has changed the world. And, of course, it also has helped this nation. God has blessed that. But after several waves of revival starting in the mid-1700s, during the First Great Awakening, God gave a little breathing room to the persecuted Bible-believing Baptists, and they began, along, uh, they began <clears throat> um, organizing Bible societies and, and missions and church planning efforts that impact the Western expansion across the United States through the 1900s. And that's a very simple, conver- condensed version of Baptist history, but that's in essence what happened. So there have been at least five waves of revival. Uh, some say seven, just depends on who you talk to. But there's been, you can document easily five I throw out the Azusa Street stuff and all that. So, anyway, five waves of, of, of revival across this nation in two, 250 years plus, uh, just go, sweeping across from east to west, from east to west. And, of course, many remember in Pasadena when Billy Graham, uh, his organization, had that, that revival. That was really the last great revival of the United States, again, on the west coast. So that it's like the revival just kind of came in waves across the, the nation. After World War II, Baptists leveraged their freedom and influence and affluence uh, to engage in fulfilling the Great Commission. And the fundamentalist movement was a direct response to German rationalism in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that infected the seminaries and the Bible colleges in the USA. 
So the Bible, or so by the middle of the 20th century, the influence of the fundamental Bible-believing Christians was felt all over the world, and the United States was uh, the leader in in sending missionaries across the world. Now, most of you probably know that, right? Because when you think of the United States, you think of us as a sending nation. And by the way, we still are one of the largest sending nations. Today, the USA sends and receives, this blows me away, I did not know this, receives the most missionaries. So the, the, the country that sends the most missionaries also receives the most missionaries. Because many, many uh, people have recognized that we need help. And so they're sending. Now, one of the reasons, why would, why would people send missionaries to the United States? Because they're what? <laughs> they're paying attention. Very good. Very good answer. That's true. And what some of the things they're paying attention to are, are the stats that I've already given you. Right? Uh, they know that the leaders of the world are coming here. And I tell you, if Christians aren't inviting them to their homes, other people will. And you know who's also sending missionaries to the United States? They're not just Christians. There's Muslims sending missionaries to the United States, right? Uh, there, there's, there's Hindus sending missionaries to the United States. This place is a real war zone. This is a, this is a place that's, for whatever reason, and I'm just giving you a lot of the reason. Uh, this is a place that is hotly contested. And so the, the days of the 1980s are over, right? That's, that's history. I think American Christians need to wake up, but especially us Bible believers, and realize, beloved, we, we are the salt and we're the light. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. And for, for whatever, however, whatever reason people come, what do they really need? They need the gospel. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they're hostile, whether they're Gentile, it doesn't matter whatever aisles at the end of their name, they need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you live right in the middle of the epicenter of the activity of people wanting to get their message out and get their message in. And you can see that because everything is polarized right now. And beloved, we have the message. We have the strategic messengers. We have the strategic message. Man, we understand we're on a strategic mission. And so we got to wake up and understand that because the battle in the USA today it's right where you live. What you may not know is that you live in, the mo- in one of the most key locations in the country. That's, this is Brian. I'm not reading this from some statistical you know, book anywhere. I'm just, I'm just, just by pulling the data together, this is why I, I'm going to make this statement. You live in the metropolitan area of one of the more influential cities in the nation. Kansas City Metro and the economic influence of Kansas City Metro rivals many of the major cities in the United States, though the, we are small in comparison by population. Why is that? Well, because we're one of the transportation hubs. There's global, uh, there's global, um, there's reasons they want to make Kansas City an inland port because it gets, it gets, uh, they can get all the goods to the rest of the nation through Kansas City. This is one of the biggest trucking hubs in the country is right here in Kansas City, Right? Trouble-free transport, right? Plug to them, right? So there's a, this is a hub. This is a hub for trucking. Why is that? Because all the goods and services, not all, but a lot of them come right out of Kansas City. It's a hub. There, there is a clear line, though, of conflict uh, that converges on the Kansas City metro and the state of Missouri, might, quite frankly. And so when we just move down the highway to the next county seat and the next county seat, or we move north, uh, even more importantly, the next county seat, the next major city. You go to Columbia, you go to Sedalia, you go north to J- St. Joe, you go up to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Wherever, wherever the, God puts it on someone's heart to plant a good Bible-believing local New Testament church, as you move that direction, 
whether you know it or not, you are strategically engaging in a great conflict. Because the mindset of this nation as you go north in the Midwest is colder to the Word of God. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for instance, if you look at it statistically, uh, ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's the number one coldest city, number 10, number 15 coldest city, but it's, it, it's up there. Their mindset is, is that of, like I was talking about, the 1800s. It's a humanistic mindset for whatever reason. I don't know why all those influences are there. But one of the coldest places uh, in the country is just to the north of us in, in Iowa. Conversely, one of the warmest places, statistically, is just to the south of us in Springfield, Missouri. It's like the hub. You go down to, how many megachurches can you put in one small town, for goodness sake? I'm like driving down there. I went down to Jeff Barker's funeral. I'm driving down here. Here's the, uh, what, a crossroads. I think it used to be Broadway Baptist, whatever, this huge megachurch. I mean, they're, they're student centers bigger than our building. And I'm like, my goodness. And I'm going over to High Street, which used to be big, but now it's small. And then I look across the highway on I-44, and there's James River. They're like, hey, the new Eastern Campus is coming here. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you fill up the one on the south side of Springfield over there by Ozark? That thing is as big. You could put 15 of these churches in that thing. It is massive. How many churches can a town have? I, I guess not enough. A lot of church happening going down there. I, pray that, I praise God. I hope there's a lot of Christians. It statistically is actually considered one of the warmer uh, spiritual communities in the nation. So what do you have right between that? Well, you have us. You have, you have this place. And during the COVID shutdown, you could feel the tension, right? You could feel the tension in the community, just the mindset of those in the suburbs and, the, and out in the, in the rural areas versus those in the city, St. Louis versus Kansas City. There's just a lot of that. And it's not political, beloved. This is spiritual warfare. It's about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. There's a clear line of conflict that converges on the Kansas City metro and the state of, the, of Missouri, so when we read Philippians two fifteen through 16, speaking of being a church in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, beloved, we really need to take that seriously and recognize we have a stake in what happens right here where we live. What happens in Harrisonville, what happens in Cass County as a whole, what happens in the four county regions around us, even to the north in Jackson, that we should take that personally and get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And to the south, we have... Uh, the, the religious and historic Bible Belt. To the north, we have the increasingly um, antichrist and unbiblical populations forming. And I'm not talking about KC Mo in particular. I'm just talking generically to the north of the country. And the northeast uh, is actually also continuing to go back in regard to the Bible, northeast part of the United States. Uh, but Omaha, uh, the statistics in Omaha, Nebraska, terrible. It's terrible when it comes to spiritual matters. The temperature there is growing colder and colder in Omaha, Nebraska. Something's going on. Maybe God's calling someone to plant a church up there. I don't know. But Arkansas and southern Missouri, some of the warmest places. I'm hearing revival stories out of Arkansas right now, literally. Things going on there. I'm jealous. I'm covetous of what God is doing in some of those locations. So, uh, beloved, these are just realities. I don't have an answer to all this other than to make disciples and send faithful men that are able to teach others also. Right? That's why we have a Bible Institute. That's why we support church plants. That's why we need to be strategic in where we send people to uh, plant churches and make disciples. And so, uh, where are you all in that? Are you being part of the solution, or are you asleep at the wheel? By God's grace, we will continue to respond and reproduce faithful men and women who are willing to partner and plant new churches in key cities. Right now, uh, we're supporting and and taking a missions trip to Boston next month to support Living Faith Boston uh, Church Plant. That's, of course, that's a huge key city in the world, uh, and Mike Renault's a key man. 
Boston is counted as one of the top 25 most influential cities in the world by secular scholars. What ultimately makes a strategic city uh, is up to the Lord, however. It's not necessarily the finance. All the statistics I read are population, economy, and influence. Those are the big three that you'll see, all measured by mainly people that aren't saved uh, because I don't get all the stats just from, you know, from Christian organizations. Uh, but what really makes it a key city is the people who get saved, discipled, and sent. Right? If the hearts of people are warm to the gospel and they will do what God tells them to do, that's a key city. That's a great place to plant the gospel. But you also got to till up the soil and the hard ground. This country was so hard at one time. John, and, uh, John Wesley and his brother Charles came here, went to Georgia, and failed miserably because they were, they were not preaching uh, the grace-filled gospel. They're preaching a works-based message. And then George Whitfield follows behind. One of the greatest revivals that the, the nation had seen follows because of the gospel of grace is being preached. The Wesley brothers were like, that place is God-forsaken. That place is cold. That place cannot be reached. But one spirit-filled preacher comes, turns the whole place upside down. Beloved, what we need is people who believe this book and are willing to give their lives for it, lose their identity in Christ, and let Jesus Christ do the preaching. We've got to be careful. We've got to reach everywhere, including the campuses, including all these places. We've got to be wise and, and look for the open doors and go through them like Paul and his team did. The gospel must be spread not just everywhere, but it must be spread every way. We must deposit the gospel in every place, even if people don't receive it. There are times people are not going to receive it. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul went, into, into the, went to the Bereans in Acts 17, and, and they studied the scriptures. He later won some to Christ in Athens at Mars Hill by preaching the gospel uh, through their poetry. Right? Some were grounded in the word. Others, he could barely get a message in. He just had to throw out a few quotes from some of their poems and tell them, you better, you better turn or Jesus is going to come back and judge you. I mean, in essence, you go back and read that in Acts chapter 17. You make the decision, and he barely hung around for the altar call, and he was back out to go into Corinth. I mean, the guy was just, he was just on the go. But you know what? One of the things you can do practically to impact this nation is get involved in an IGO effort. Intentional gospel outreach. Just get on an IGO team. Get with Pat, get with, with Jeremy, and get involved in just praying for getting the gospel out to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your, your friends at school. And just get involved in being intentional about and praying and saying, God, I need an open door to share the gospel. And get people on board with that. And it doesn't mean you have to come back and with all kinds of great reports. Just, just be intentional about praying and opening our mouth when God gives us the door of utterance. And man, you'll be surprised what God will do right within your sphere of influence. And that's where, that's where it starts. Uh, just, just do that. You say, well, I don't know the Bible. Well, great. Well, get discipled. And I know some of you are doing that. We're, I appreciate those that are willing to take the time out of their life to get in the Word of God and get discipled. Some of you, you do. You need to go ahead and, and bite the bullet. I know economy is tight, and it is, and I appreciate that. It may take you a little longer to get where you're needing to go or what have you, but, man, make the decision. I'm going to take a missions trip. I'm going to start, I'm going to start sacrificing. I'm going to start socking away, putting some money in my sock drawer, whatever it takes, and I'm going to take a missions trip because you need it more than you know. It will change your life. It will change your life. And so do those things, and God can, will help increase your ability to go uh, not just everywhere, <clears throat> but, every, but every way that he has given you. He will make ways for you. And he'll shut one door, and he'll open another. But you've got to be willing and ready and, and eager to go where God's calling you to go. And lastly, the gospel must be spread every, to, to everyone. All right, everywhere, every way, and to everyone. 
Romans 1.15, the Apostle Paul said, So as as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? That could be the problem. If you aren't, praise God. If you are, get that straightened out. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to, to, to everyone that believeth. Everyone that believeth. you got a one-sized message that fits all. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Everywhere, right? Everyone, every way, we got to get it done. So there is a battle raging for the souls of men. The key cities of the world um, are worth taking note of. But you notice when I gave all these cities, there's two cities that never came up. And, I, and these are, you can study this yourself. I Go out and study all the key cities of the world, influential cities. Go to the Christian stuff. Go to the secular stuff. It's interesting to me that there's two cities that never showed up. And I've already given you the heads up last week. Those two cities are Jerusalem and Rome. Neither one of those cities are showing up as key cities. And yet, we know from the Bible, a lot of things are happening there. And I, I conclude with that, because what we need is spiritual understanding, spiritual discernment. A lot of what the world's looking at, and even the Christians are looking at, they're looking at population, they're looking at economy, they're looking at influence. And those are all important. But I tell you what, the two cities in the world that are influencing the most aren't even listed in their top anything. Because this is a spiritual war, beloved. And so you look around the United States of America and you're looking for, for key churches. And well, what are you looking for? Big, big churches, big influential churches with lots of population and major cities. And, and you know what? We need those. Believe me, I'm not against any of that. Praise God for that. But you know what, beloved? This little church out in a, in a cow field could be just as influential or more influential than some of those big ones. It all depends on if we go through the open doors. Because at the end of the day, what, what was significant was Paul going through the, not going through the shut door and going to the open door and participating in a Bible study that ended up, or a prayer meeting that ended up a Philippian jailer getting saved, ended up being a church plant that ended up affecting that entire region. Key men, key men are what make key cities. Are you a key man? That's up to you. You're a key man if you have the key message and you're willing to deploy it and take it wherever God calls you to go. And not being ashamed of the gospel is a part of that. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Hey, listen, there's going to be more real war zones to look at. There's going to be more famines. There's going to be more difficulties. There's going to be more persecution. You know what those places need? They need faithful men with the key message that can make a difference in the most difficult places. Now, that's a tribulation context verse, but we can already see what's coming. Real war zones are becoming increasingly available. And whether you know it or not, you live in the middle of one. It doesn't have to have bullets flying. But even if it does, you're still to do what? Preach the gospel. This place has been in flux, if you look at the history between good and evil, since the day, uh, since the day missionaries showed up. And beloved, it is the people of God and the word of God that makes the difference. As a church that desires to impact these real war zones, we must continue now more than ever to make disciples who make disciples, who plant churches. Say, well, we don't have as much money. Who cares? We still got to plant churches. We got to partner with people that are planting churches. And we got to go to every nation simultaneously, strategically, and supernaturally. And one of the ways to do that is simply get involved in what God is doing right here, right now. Get involved in the trip to the Dominican that, that, that uh, Steve is taking. Go to Oaxaca. Go to Monmouth. 
uh, get to get you know get involved this coming week is coming up after uh, uh, this coming Sunday get involved Don't, take some time off of work come and stay late burn a little sleep and put the word of God together going to a real war zone literally those those New Testaments are going to Ukraine why because we know God is working there we know God is going to tenderize those hearts God has opened the door and we just got to go through it amen Amen. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to consider these seven realities. Real people must be found in real churches. Real Christians must be Christ-like. Real relationships must 